Welcome to C3 San Diego. Need something fresh, real, and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We are so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our C3 San Diego pastors. We would love to hear about how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us at info at c3sandiego.com. If you'd like to be a part of what C3 Church is doing in the city of San Diego and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to c3give.com and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We hope you enjoy this message. We are in our Supernatural series, which has been so exciting. Who doesn't love the supernatural? Miracles, healings, words of knowledge, prophecy, deliverance. It's so exciting and so glamorous. You know, but I actually think there's some other things in the Bible that are, I consider supernatural that don't get as much uh, glory and don't get as much spotlight. And so while I love the miracles and the healings and the signs and wonders, and we actually, we really need those things um, in moments throughout our life. But I think some of the things we need on the regular, on the daily, are some other things that are a little bit supernatural in my opinion. And that is the fruit of the Spirit which we talked about in the baby dedications, the fruit of the spirit. And so while it's not, again, so glamorous, very necessary. And uh, I want to read those off to you. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So yeah, great, but you know, long-suffering and like no one likes that. No one likes that. But we're gonna go through stuff in life where we need to be able to access these things, to step into these things. We wanna live life and live it well. And so I wanna talk about some of these things today. There's no way I'll be able to tackle all of them. So I wanted to pick my three, well, I shouldn't say favorites, because I like them all, but except long suffering. Um, and, and, uh, but let's talk about three. The first one I wanna talk about is peace. And especially having peace in the midst of a storm. Honestly, I think that is extraordinary and supernatural. To have peace, supernatural peace, when everything around you is raging. That is extraordinary and not of this world. I don't know how people that don't have Jesus get through some of the storms we see people walking through without Jesus. And can I get the lights down just a bit? Sorry, guys. It's a little bright. Um, so, and I can't say that I've always kept my peace in the middle of a storm. I'm just going to be transparent and honest today that um, there have been times in my life and seasons in my life where I have completely lost it and I'm a frazzled mess and when storms hit, you know, but now I've done, I've done like really well because I just like visit crazy and then I go back. So, so thank you for your prayers. It's working. I so appreciate it. So I try to keep my peace in the midst of the storm, and I am doing a lot better. But I want to ask us all today, how do we respond when the storms of life hit? How do we respond? How do we respond when we get that unexpected medical diagnosis? How do we respond when that relationship ends or we get that unexpected tax bill? How do we respond when we hit financial crisis, when we lose everything? How do we respond when we're betrayed or misrepresented? How do we respond? When the storm starts raging around us, is the storm raging within us? Or can we keep our peace in the midst of a storm? There's a story about a storm in Mark 4. 
And it's where Jesus tells the disciples, hey, let's get in the boat and we're going to go to the other side. And so the disciples and Jesus get into the boat and they're going to the other side. And while they're in the middle of the sea, a great storm arose and the wind began to blow. And it said the waves were overtaking the boat and the waves were actually filling the boat with water. And I know we can read these stories and, and we sometimes probably should put ourselves in that situation, just try to really visualize it, because we can like breeze past this storm situation. But think about it. It's not like a big cruise liner thing. It's like a little back in the Bible day boat. And the waves are overtaking it and filling it. Like how terrifying would this be? The waves are overtaking the boat. And so, but what's funny, I actually want to take a little detour for a second. And let's remember that it was actually Jesus's idea to get in the boat and go to the other side yet there was still a storm. So I think a lot of times people think when they're in the midst of a storm, they think they've been in disobedience or they've been punished or they've been bad, you know, and this is the consequences. You know what? Sometimes there are storms of obedience. You're doing the right thing and then things start to come at you to kind of try to get you side railed and derailed. The enemy will throw things at you. So, you know, I actually think there's storms of obedience. There's absolutely storms of disobedience when we make wrong choices and we have to deal with the consequences and there's storms that way. But honestly, sometimes there's just storms of life. Stuff just happens that isn't fun. And it's not because you've been in the right or the wrong situation. Bad things just happen because we live in a world full of pain and sin. So they're in the middle of God's will in the storm. They're with Jesus in the middle of God's will with him. And a great storm arose. And it says, while the storm was raging, that Jesus was actually asleep. Yeah, he's asleep in the stern, completely at peace and at rest, asleep in the boat. And the Bible says that the disciples come to him and say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Like they go to worst case scenario, like, don't you care? We're dying here. Like we're perishing. Worst case scenario when the storm came, being over, like very dramatic. And then in Mark 4, 39 through 40, it says, Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I love that when they called on Jesus, the storm ceased. When they called out to Jesus, the storm ceased and peace came. What I also think is interesting about this story is up until this point, the disciples had been with Jesus. They had seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. They had seen him heal the paralytic. They had seen him heal the man with the withered hand. And actually it says that they saw him heal all who were sick and oppressed by the devil. So they had seen him do so many amazing miracles in humanity. Yet I think why the disciples panicked in this moment and lost their peace is because they did not have the full revelation of who God was, the full revelation of who was actually in their boat because they'd only seen him heal humanity. They had not yet seen him speak to the storm to cease. So they didn't have the full revelation of who God was and how good he was. So they lost their peace in the midst of the storm because they did not know how amazing God was and that he could do all things. It's so important when we're in the storm to know who God is, to fully know who God is. And when you know him, you can trust him and you'll be able to keep your peace. Psalm 9, 9 through 10 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. When you know him, you trust him. 
So do we really know him? Do we really know him? Because if we really knew him, I think we could keep our peace in a storm because we know that no matter how bad things get, God will work all things together for good for those who love him. If we really knew him, we would know that the Bible says he will not let the righteous fall. If we really knew him in the midst of the storm, we can keep our peace because the Bible says he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we would know that no matter how much has been lost, that God will restore all things. We could lose everything everything and still have everything if we have Jesus because in Jesus everything exists and he can restore and redeem everything that the enemy has stolen if we really knew him we could keep our peace in the midst of the storm because we would know how good he is how did I keep my peace when my mom was going through horrific battle with cancer and was given a death sentence I kept my peace because I know him and I trust him to be our healer and yes she was made whole and healed in Jesus name how did I keep my peace when we we lost everything. We lost our home. We lost 13 properties. We lost $300,000 in the bank account. And John lost his job. How did I keep my peace? Because I know him as my provider. So I trust him. And yes, God has recovered all in Jesus' name. How did I keep my peace when my sister committed suicide? I kept my peace because God is my comfort. And I trust him. And I know him. And he brought peace. And yes, she's in heaven with angels. We can keep our peace when we know him because when we know him, we trust him because we know who he is and he is good. So to keep our peace in the midst of the storm, we need to, one, we need to know him. Two, we need to trust him. And three, we must pray. We must pray. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay. Let your requests be made known to God. So you give him your worries, you give him your concerns, you give him your burdens, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is supernatural. This is a peace that we can't understand in the natural. So this scripture tells us that the antidote to anxiety and worry is prayer. So supernatural peace should be the receipt after we pray. So if when we pray, the receipt should be supernatural peace. If we aren't experiencing supernatural peace, if after we pray, we still worry, I have to ask the question, do we really trust him then? We'd trust him if we really knew him. So do we really know him so we could trust him, so we could experience this supernatural peace when the storms hit? So I want to encourage you this morning to get to know him. We've got to get to know him. What does he say about you? What does he say about your life? What are those promises that he has for you that you have not yet accessed and unlocked because you haven't experienced the full kingdom of God because you don't know him? Can you recognize when the devil's feeding you a lie about yourself, about your future, about your marriage, about your health? Because do you know what the Bible says that's for you? We've got to get to know him so we can trust him, so we can have supernatural peace in the midst of this storm. Amen? And what an amazing testimony to the world. The world is crazy. Crazy. 
Everyone's losing their peace. So imagine, what if we could keep our peace? What if, and you don't even have to say anything to preach the gospel. Because if people watch you go through a storm and you don't lose your peace and you can stay at rest and you can trust in God, you better bet I know who they're coming to when they go through a storm. They're going to come to you and say like, and you know what? Then you get to introduce them to the Prince of Peace. How amazing. The second thing. To be pleasant under pressure, a.k.a. kindness. (laughs) Kindness. This has also, too, been a journey for me. Honestly, I don't know why. Some people, I just find it so hard to be kind. Some people are just annoying. (laughs) Not you. None of you. Absolutely not. None of you. Other people. The 10 o'clock. No, and you know what I've realized? It's not them. It's really me. It really is me. I'm the annoying one. Because God has given us the ability to tap into kindness in any situation, any circumstance, to not be unkind. Or, you know, so it's me. I need to be able to tap into the spirit and to be kind in all circumstances. And I love that. And so don't beat yourself up if you're like me and you're, you're on this journey of growing to operate in the fruit of the spirit. Because, and I love that God uses the analogy of fruit for fruit of the spirit. Because fruit, you don't just put a seed in the ground. Like you get saved, the seed's in the ground. It actually takes some time to grow a tree that would have the ability to produce full, mature fruit. And so I I love that this is a journey. We're all growing together. The house of God is the one place where, you know, we raise our kids and our family, but we actually are growing up together in the things of God. So we need to be really patient and gracious with one another. You know, sometimes I think we can be really judgmental with the 21-year-old that's living this and making that mistake over and over again. Well, let me ask you, what were you doing when you were 21? You know what I mean? We're growing together. That's, that's not a free ride to, to continually just, you know, be frivolous and, you know, throw discretion out the window. But we're all growing together to be able to produce this fruit, this mature fruit in our lives. So don't beat yourself up wherever you're at on the journey of growth. I know I have grown in this area in kindness. And I'm going to tell a story that was almost 11 years ago. So don't be judging me. I've grown a lot. My fruit is more mature. But 11 years, almost 11 years ago, my husband and I bought uh, a really nice home in a nice neighborhood. And it was expensive. It was almost $900,000. And so I assumed that because we bought a nice house and a nice neighborhood, we would have nice neighbors. Well, I assume wrong. So this is, you know, you know the house like five feet from each other, like how they build homes like that. So anyway, so we're very close to us. And we realized very quickly there was about 12 people that lived in this house. Ongoing drama, people coming in and out. We, it was pretty much determined that they, they sold drugs. And their one, one of their teenage sons was constantly drinking and driving. And so all the fences and flower beds in the neighborhood would be completely destroyed. Because he would run into them all the time. Then he just like abandoned his car. We're like, yeah, we know who it was. There's your car again. You know, anyway, so, and, okay, so, crazy neighbor, us, another neighbor. So they skipped our house, robbed this neighbor, and then set fire to his house. I'm not making this stuff up, you guys. Like, set fire to the house. Yes, went, they went to jail. 
So these neighbors were very interesting. And every Sunday and Monday night, they would have parties at their house. And they just, they knew how to party because they would have the techno music. They would have strobe lights going, you know. And, and the unfortunate thing was their backyard was attached to my backyard fence, my backyard, and then my master bedroom. So every time they had a party, it was like I could, it's like they were in my bedroom. Like I could hear everything they were saying. It was this, you know, and then the, the lights would flash every time I tried to go to bed, Sunday, Monday night. And you guys, this would go on all day, all night. We would leave for work the next day and they'd be stumbling out of the backyard. No joke. So we'd be like, yeah, good morning. We're responsible people going to work, you know, and you're still partying at 6 a.m. But so they were driving me crazy. And I had met, met her, Miss Beverly, and we would chat on the weekly. And I'd be like, Beverly, <laughs> really can't, can't keep doing this with the parties and the strobe lights. And, and, I, and I would call the cops every week, like it was standard. Every week, every week I'd call the cops. No shame. And, and she knew I was the one calling the cops. So, cause she'd be like, Miss Becky, Miss Becky, no call the cop. Here's my phone number, you call me. And I'm like, okay. So I, I was like, all right, I'll call you and then I'll call the cops. And so I would, every week I'd call Beverly and let her know, hey, I'm calling the cops, you know? And then I'd call the cops. Pretty standard. And so, and then, this is my life, I know. And then I was handling it okay. I was being somewhat kind. And then I had a kid. And I became sleep deprived and delirious. And one night, oh. So, finally get the baby to sleep. All you moms know how this is. You're so delirious. You don't even know which way's up. So the baby finally goes to sleep. And I finally fell asleep, thank God. And sure enough, the techno and the lights. And I threw those covers off and I jumped up out of bed and I start to exit the room. And John goes, babe, babe, where are you going? What are you doing, babe? I'm like, I got this. I stormed down the stairs, I stormed out the backyard and I jumped up on the planter and I was hanging over the fence. I'm like, Beverly! And there's all, just all these people in the backyard and they're just like staring at me and I'm just yelling Beverly repeatedly. So then someone finally goes, gets her in the house. She comes out, Miss Becky, Miss Becky, Becky. And I was just like, I swear to God. First, you should never start a sentence. You should never swear to God. I was like, I swear to God, if you all are not all gone in three minutes, I am bashing all of your car windows in. No. This is the only church that cheers for criminal behavior. <laughs> Yeah, but guess what, guys? Guess what? Their windows did get bashed in. Swear on the Bible, it was not me. Not joking. Can you believe this, you guys? So here's their little Christian neighbor threatening to bash their car windows in and then probably a drug deal gone bad. Their windows were bashed in and guess they, they could not be convinced that it wasn't the Christian neighbor. So here's the thing, the Holy Spirit was like, oh, the Holy Spirit. When I walked out and I saw their windows bashed in, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> like, oh. oh, the Holy Spirit was like, do you think based on your representation of me, would they ever accept an invitation to church? I'm like, no, they wouldn't. And I'm not saying, I, I, I should have, you should deal with those situations, but don't return evil for evil, you know. 
you know, justifiably angry, but I took matters into my own hands and I made a mess out of everything. I ruined my opportunity to share the gospel with them. Can you imagine if I walked out the next day and be like, hey, want to come to C3? (gasps) They would have, I mean, wow. We're ambassadors of Christ in the earth. And the Bible says in Romans 2, 4, that it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. Mm, kindness is so powerful. Kindness can lead people to repentance. And I felt so convicted. I was like, oh my gosh, I've wasted so much energy and so much anger and time on calling the cops and getting upset with my neighbors. What if I'd spent all that energy trying to share the gospel of Jesus with them? It could have been a much different scenario, a much different scenario. And as I'm growing and learning to have kindness in every situation, I will ask myself after difficult, because you know what? Every conversation isn't always pleasant. You have to have tough conversations sometimes. There are things that you have to confront. But even in that, when I walk away from those, I ask myself how I handled myself could I invite them to church? Would they still consider me a good representative? Would I have a good testimony of what a Jesus Christ follower looks like? I ask myself that. Because I want to be faithful in this, to be kind. Can we be kind where everything in the situation says that you can be angry and harsh? Can we still be kind? And I've said this quote before. The world isn't confused by the gospel. The gospel is not confusing. The world is, in, is confused by us who preach a gospel of love and kindness and then show so little of it. It's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And I, have, I, I, can, I can tell you that I have grown in this area and I'm doing better because I had an opportunity to be very unkind last week. And I was kind because I've been ordering furniture for my new house and this is the fourth delivery for my bedroom set and they keep delivering me broken things. And so I have to keep returning them. So this is now 16 hours, you know, like the four hour window they give you that I've had to wait and take time off of work to sit for broken things. And when he came and was replacing my broken piece for another broken piece, I just was like, oh wow. I go, hey, can you guys just just tell him to call me again? And he just goes, oh, wow. Well, thanks for not biting my head off. I'm like, oh, yeah, he goes, oh, you'd be surprised. I get my head bitten off all the time. I'm just a delivery guy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so can you imagine, like, that was a very easy invitation to church because I was kind when I was justifiably in a situation where I could have expressed anger. Kindness is so powerful and provides opportunities for us to share the gospel with people. Amen? Amen. So I'm growing in my kindness. Yay. All right. Thanks, babe. John says he's proud of me. The third one, and I think this is the big one, because this is the one that I think affects us and gives us the ability to operate in all the other fruit of the Spirit. So this one helps us be loving in situations that are an unlovable situations, to be kind when anger is warranted. This helps us be faithful when we have opportunity to be unfaithful. So this is the big one, self-control. Self-control. I know, party pooper. Self-control. So I think there are some of the biggest regrets we have in life. And I would think you would say this for your own life and for the lives of the people that you know. Some of the biggest regrets in life come from situations and moments where we did not use self-control. 
Some of our biggest regrets are from moments where we lacked self-control. Oh, those harsh words that are spoken in a heated argument that you can't take back. And those, that, that moment that you didn't use self-control has now separated mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, lifelong friends, because we didn't have self-control to control our tongue in a heated argument. Oh, that moment where you crossed the line in a moment of passion with the person that you were dating, and now you can't take it back. Oh, goodness, in that moment where you should have been faithful to your spouse, but you chose to begin flirting, exchange numbers that led to an affair that have destroyed so many lives. Having self-control is so important. So we don't have to live with these regrets. Summer Peterson just posted, and we were chatting this morning, their daughter's soccer game. They're like 9 and 10 at a tournament. And one of the dads just got mad, punched another dad, and a big fight started. Cops were called. All the little girls were on the field bawling. And one of the little girls watched her dad get handcuffed and taken away to jail. All because you didn't have self-control at a soccer game. And I'm not like trying to like talk about, I'm just saying self-control is so important. If we don't have self-control, it can put ourselves in situation. I guarantee you, he does not think that moment was worth it. Now has a criminal record, assault, going to have to go to court, probably is going to be on probation, and his poor little daughter. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. Self-control is so important. But it's one of the hardest things to really grow in. So, you know, I want to I encourage you. I have three things that I think are going to help us all be able to access more self-control so we can live with less regret in this life. Are you ready? The first one. A big part of self-control is having a vision for your future. Have a vision for your future. Habakkuk 2.2 says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. So what does this mean? You get a vision, you make it plain on paper. You write it down so you can see it. Make it plain. This is where I'm going in life. This is where I want to end up. This is my dream. This is my vision. This is my future. And this is the direction I need to go to get there. So if you know that's your vision this way, when stuff comes at you trying to pull you over here or pull you over here, you're going to be like, oh, if I go this way, that's, that's taking me off my path to my vision. No, 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 no. I need to stay here. you got to get a vision and make it plain so you can run towards it and say no to distractions and sin and things that try to entangle you to take you away from your dream. If you have a vision for your finance, you're not going to just overspend and get in debt. If you have a vision for your future spouse, you won't settle for the first jack wagon that shows you affection and love. You're going to wait for the one that you have a vision for. If you get a vision for your marriage, so you won't just tolerate each other. You have a vision for what your marriage is going to look like, and you're going to go after it so you can taste a little bit of heaven here on earth. Get a vision for your health so you can say no to McDonald's and dessert every day. Just get a vision for your health. I'm not saying those things are bad all the time. Every once in a while, it's fine. But I worked at McDonald's, you guys, and I gained 10 pounds. They had to buy me new gray pants because I could not button them. It is not good for you. I'm just, I'm helping. I'm helping you. Oh, just saying, get a vision. Get a vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In another version, it says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint and perish. This is so powerful. If you don't have a vision, you're going to cast off restraint. You're not going to like, like, well, why not indulge in that? 
I'm not going for anything anyways. Why not sleep with this one and that one? I have no vision for the kind of spouse I want. Why not buy that? Who cares? I'm not saving for anything anyways. Without a vision, people cast off restraint and give into every temptation and pleasure that comes their way. We got to make, write a vision, make it plain if you're going to access more self-control. The second thing, I think our choices have a lot to do with the ability to access self-control. Let me explain. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So God has a destiny for our life. It tells us here, and it is life and life abundantly. The devil also has a destiny for our life, which is destruction. So the path to either of those destinies is ultimately decided by our choices. Choices are so important. And I'm not denying that the enemy tempts us to make decisions that are contrary to the word of God. He absolutely tempts us. And I'll read a scripture that helps you understand that in a moment. But the Bible also says that he provides a way of escape when we're tempted. So I think the problem is, though, we ignore all the exits and the warning signs, and then we get so deep, then it's so hard to say no. But if we would have exited when God gave us a choice early on, we wouldn't be so entangled. It's like when you think about the horror movies, like it's a really good analogy for how we live our lives. Like think about this. There's a horror movie. Creepy house. Okay, creepy. First warning. Warning, warning. Creepy house. Don't go into the creepy house. We're like, ah, oh, no, it's creepy. That was the first warning. You ignored it. Then you open the door and the lights don't work. Warning, warning, not a good idea. Don't go into the creepy dark house. Oh, they ignore it. No, okay. They keep going in the creepy dark house. Then they see blood smeared on the wall. Warning, warning. But no, we're like, oh, you know. And then the, the creepy music starts. And then you know something bad is about to happen. Okay, they had a warning. First of all, the creepy house, don't go in, but you did. Then the lights don't work, don't go in, but you did. Then you see blood and you still continue. Like God is constantly sending us warning signs and, and, and telling us I'm providing a way of escape, but you keep getting more and more entangled and it's hard to get out of the house when your sin's so deep. We've got to make better choices, those little choices early on. Take the first warning sign. I mean, I, and I'm not trying to be a turkey, but, you know, I hear all the time, like these young people go like, oh, you know, we fell into sin again, like we slept together again. I'm like, all right, well, well, first of all, you spent the night at their house. Second of all, you got into bed together. Then third, you were naked. <laughs> what did you think was gonna happen? The second it gets a little heated or passionate, that's like, warning, warning, like exit, exit left, you know, but we stay. We think we can handle it. Let me help you. The Bible says you can't, and I'm not lying. Let me read it. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are weak. Do not think you are strong in the flesh. You cannot handle it. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. We, we like orchestrate all the little details to our own demise and then we wonder how we fell into sin like we've just ignored all the warning sign and we we made provision we actually packed a bag knowing we were going to sleep over you know what I mean like 
the flesh is weak. You cannot trust it. Make no provision for the flesh. And this isn't just in regards to sexuality. Every area, we need to make better choices early on so we can avoid falling down and living with regrets. I'm going to share a story with you. It was about maybe 10 years ago. I was the last person to get a um, smartphone. My flip phone, I like held on to that thing forever. And I, and I refuse to get on social media. Technology is not my friend. I cannot figure out how to send a group email. Someone has to do it for me. And I can't ever print. Andre, what the? He's our tech guy. Technology is not my friend. But anyways, I was like, you know what? This whole Facebook thing, everybody's on it, so I'm going to get on it. About 10 years ago. And so, you know when you put in, like, where you grew up, like, your high school, uh, your college? It's like, oh, suggested friends. Like, all these people went to your same college. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen this since high school. Whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm like, friend, 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 friend. And then I saw the, the guy that I dated for five years that I almost married in college. And I'm like, friend, 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 friend. And so I friend all these people, you know, just to, to the pure, everything is pure. I had no ill intention. And so, so I friend all these people, and then within an hour, I get a private message from this ex-boyfriend. And he goes, oh my gosh, I've been trying to find you, and you finally found me. I'm like, oh shoot. Warning, warning. warning. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, he's like, oh, I think about you all the time. And he says, do you ever wonder what it would be like if you and I got married? And so I'm just kind of taken back and I'm in a moment and I'm like, oh, this is how it happens. This is how people have affairs. Oh my gosh. Like it's happening. Like, thank God. I love my husband and I'm obedient to Jesus and I have, have grown in the fruits of the spirit and access self-control. And I was just like, could, wait, can you imagine if we weren't in a good place, we were really struggling in our marriage, how sly is the devil with that temptation? So I, I was a little bit in shock. And so I just said, oh, it's you know, great to catch up. Uh, I saw a photo of your wife. She's stunning. She's beautiful. So happy for you. Uh, hold on to her tight. Unfriend. <laughs> oh, I had to make a choice that the first warning sign, warning, warning, and unfriend. Like, I wasn't even going to go down that road. But here's the thing. You don't set out to have ill intentions. You don't set out to destroy your marriage. You don't set out to destroy your life. But if we don't start making choices and these little things, making better choices early on, we're going to find ourselves in a really entangled situation. Those little choices, those little compromises lead us to the big compromise. And then we really mess things up. So those little choices, they leave little open doorways. Remember, make no provision for the flesh. So I'm not saying I would have ever walked through that door. And if you open the door, I'm not saying you would ever walk through it. But why even open it? Why even open it? Make no provision for the flesh. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. We need to make better choices and listen to the warning signs of the Holy Spirit. You won't regret it. You'll thank me later. You're welcome. The third thing that affects our ability to have self-control and this is, a, this is actually a big one that not many people really give a lot of attention to. Demonic oppression. Demonic oppression. 
Now again, we have to take responsibility for our own life. We don't blame the devil for any, everything. We need to make good choices. But sometimes we get to a period in our life where we experience demonic oppression that help, it, it, it makes it harder to choose rightly. So let me explain. I'm going to read a scripture. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, at least without a little bit of a battle. So we see in this scripture, and we know that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we know this scripture, there's actually a battle, a war being waged on the inside of us between good and evil constantly over our lives to make good choices. And like the good angel, the bad angel, they, they depicted it so perfectly. So there is a spiritual battle over our lives trying to get us to choose contrary to the word of God. But I also want to say we're also not helpless puppets with this evil puppet master telling us where to go and what to do and choose wrongly. We still have the power to choose. But if you have chosen to engage in sinful behavior, chances are you have opened a door to demonic oppression. Because, and we do it unintentionally, we're not thinking about it. When we choose sin, we're saying no to God. So you're saying, I don't want that, God. And you say, yes, I want this, devil. And so you give him an do open doorway. You give him access to that area of your life. And then if you keep choosing wrongly, you just keep opening the doorway wider to the enemy. So the more you choose wrongly, especially the wrong thing repeatedly, that the demonic oppression in your life gains more influence and more power and it has more control over your thoughts, emotions, desires, and your will. And so I was completely oblivious to all of this. And this is all scriptural. And I actually want to encourage, if this is the first, if I'm freaking some of you out because you've never heard this, I never heard this until I got into the church and started reading the Bible for myself. And then I, my eyes were open to the, the uh, supernatural realm. And so I preached a message in January called Frogs or Freedom. Sounds strange. It'll make sense when you listen to it. And in that message, I go from start to finish and I break down demonic oppression. I talk about what are all the doorways that open our lives to demonic oppression, what happens when we're being oppressed, and then how you get set free from it, and then how to live free. I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've opened yourself up possibly to demonic oppression, to go back and listen to that message. It's so important to be aware of the things that are going on in our lives. And so, so an example would be if, if you've uh, looked at pornography. When you look at pornography, you open the doorway to lust and perversion, okay? The more you look at it, the stronger that influence is going to become. So every time you open up a computer and you look at it, the, the devil is getting more and more power and control over that area of your life. So if you are finding there's an area of your life you have a difficulty breaking a habit or like that uh, an emotion comes in, it's so strong, you have a hard time resisting saying no to certain things, to alcohol, to whatever it may be. There may be some demonic oppression and influence that is uh, helping, or helping you choose wrongly and not rightly. 
But what is so amazing about this is there's freedom in Jesus. We repent and we get prayer and we can be set free in a moment. I was set free from a spirit of demonic oppression quite a few years ago. I didn't know I was oppressed. I just thought it was my person. I thought it was my personality to be fearful and anxious and controlling. So God did not give me that personality, but again, I didn't know it. I didn't know what the word of God said. So what actually happened to me, it wasn't because I engaged in sinful behavior that allowed the oppression to come. I actually was, someone else had sinned against me. So there was a, there was a repeated betrayal. And so there was an open wound, which is also another doorway, which I share about my other message. So there was an open wound that I did not let heal properly. I didn't let God heal it. So it got infected an internal wound. And so the enemy came on that and he's like, yeah, you can't trust anyone. You can never trust a man. They're always going to hurt you. So, oh, oh yes. So then I believe the lie because I don't know what the word of God says. So then I come up and I'm like, yeah, I can't trust anyone. So I build all these walls. And then in order to keep me safe, I then started operating in a spirit of control which is another spirit, and I started to control everything. Where John went, what he saw, movie we went to, we wouldn't go to the beach. I wouldn't let him go anywhere outside of my little safe bubble because I was so paranoid. And I can tell you there was not an hour that went by in a 10-year period where I was not tormented to some level in my mind with anxiety, a fear, worst case scenario, my mind going to crazy places, thinking all these terrible things were gonna happen. It was robbing me of my peace, robbing me of my sleep. And you know what? I went to counseling for years. Read every self-help book on self-confidence, trust, blah, 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 which they're great in some cases, but not in this case because it wasn't a natural problem. It was a supernatural problem. No matter how much I tried to control my emotions, like don't be fearful, don't freak out, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I'd freak out. I, I felt like I couldn't control myself. It was, it was, and I had realized because I'd given 10 years to the devil allowing him to torment my mind and have access to my life. And so, but what the, the amazing thing was 10 years of torment, I was set free in one moment with one prayer and I've never been the same since. There is freedom in Jesus. It takes some prayer and confession and you allow God to move in your life and you could be free in a moment. Uh, once I got free, I couldn't believe the confidence that filled me. I, was, I, no, I didn't fear anything, almost to the point where I became overly confident. It was the craziest thing. I, didn't, I had no idea I could live that way. I had no idea I was oppressed and I, know, I had no idea what real life was like until I got set free. Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you had a powerful experience. We want to take this time to personally help you navigate the next steps in becoming connected. If you made a decision for Christ today, need prayer, or want more information about our church, go to our website, c3sandiego.com. And if you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to c3give.com and click on the giving option that works best for you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you at church.